Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica, and we are struggling today. <laughs> and I'm your host, Allison. We were just recording for like 30 minutes, but like didn't hit record. <laughs> didn't hit record. So today we be crazy, but today we be sipping on a coffee that my best friend Amber got us while she was on vacation in Santa Cruz because she's a cool girl. Um, it is called Cat and Cloud Coffee. She got me the coffee called The Answer and it is freaking delicious. I'm drinking it right freaking now. It has berries, caramel, chocolate. It's like their most popular one at this place. And I just love the little packaging. It's super like retro-y, kind of like Saved by the Bell-esque. I like it. Teal packaging, like big block letters. Very cute. But I got the Honduras blend, which is white nectarine, raspberry, and Snickers. Up front, it's bright, sweet, and juicy like white nectarine and raspberry. As it sits on your tongue, it evolves into nougat, almond, and caramel with a creamy chocolate finish, bringing all the components of a Snickers bar. Like, I'm sold. I'm sold. Mm. Wait, I want some. I'm going to have to order that one because that just sounds like something that I would be heavily into. Keep watching uh, dessert videos that are like in slow-mo and stuff. And I feel like that description should be like one of those (laughs) dessert videos that's in slow-mo and you're just like sitting there like watering at the mouth. Stop. Oh my gosh. I feel like I have way too much (laughs) coffee at this point, but this was necessary because I feel like it's so different. Yeah, Snickers. It's one of my favorite candy bars. Mm-hmm. As we both take a sip of coffee. <laughs> yeah, we need to be sipping this faster because we're all over the place today. But thank you guys so much. I just, <laughs> we're 15,000 downloads. Sorry, we keep talking. We're no, just I like, I, this isn't working. <laughs> this is what happens when we have like a little recording break. Thank you guys for being so patient during our little um, – I know we've been a bit off schedule. Um, we're going to get back to our regular Wednesday releases. We've just kind of had a lot going on. Um, I was sick. I was traveling. Just There's a lot happening. But we are going to be back to our normal Wednesdays. So make sure you're on the lookout for that and you're following us everywhere you need to be following us, which is Instagram, Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts so that you can see When our episodes come out, they will be coming out every week again. So thank you so much for your support. We love hearing your feedback and hearing that you guys are listening to the episodes and you're listening at work. And it's just, I love hearing what you guys have to say. Yeah. It's always really fun to see like friends out that I know listen to the podcast and they're like, that episode was so cool. And then they want to talk about it. And you know me, I'm just always talking about people's murders in public. So that's – I'm such a good party friend. <laughs> Did you hear about that woman that was chopped up and stuffed into, <laughs> and stuffed into a Hello Kitty? Like, uh, I'm just trying to order a drink. Damn. <laughs> um, I'll take a high noon. <laughs> no, but for real, thank you guys so much for 15,000 downloads. Um, what? 
Several people were shot at a Brooklyn subway station and undetonated devices were found at the scene. At least 13 people injured. What? Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. You said the subway? I got some mm-hmm. people I need to check on. Um, I'll text them in a little bit. Um, That's insane. So there's some news for you guys. Speaking of news, uh, not breaking news like that, but kind of. If you don't remember, our first episode was Lori Vallow Daybell, and she is the woman that is being accused of murdering her two children. Um, she possibly also murdered like 80 other people that she <laughs> <laughs> was around. Her husband, her brother, her this person. I don't know. She murdered everybody. Um, she's also insane. And she was in a psych ward, like, since, like, June. She was committed in June. But they just determined that she is freaking mentally fit to stand trial. And so that trial will finally begin in early 2023, which is coming up soon. She's probably really excited. If you haven't listened to our Lori (laughs) Bell episode, it was our first episode we ever did. So disclaimer – it probably sounds awful. We probably sound super awkward, but the information is good. It's just, it's still to this day, I think, is one of the most wild cases we've ever done. It is like fascinating, just Absolutely. the mind of this woman um, who was very excited to be in court and in the public eye. So she's probably really excited about the trial, probably trying to figure out what she's going to wear and her makeup and stuff like she was back in the day. But We'll keep you guys updated with that as it happens. Yeah. She's a great A narcissist. Yeah. And also thinks that, you know, people are what did what did she think they were? Well, Serpents? she thought that she, slugs. Slugs. <laughs> were, yes. She thought that they were slugs. Oh, oh my god. Slugs. Speaking I'm of narcissists. Um the case that we're going to talk about today. Let's, yeah. let's get into that. A lot of you yeah. might know this case. It was huge in the public eye and it's kind of come back to light lately because there's a new docu-series on Hulu called The Girl from Plainville that explores – it's kind of like a – it's not like a docu-series. It's kind of like a reenactment almost of – what went down between oh boy between Michelle Carter and Conrad Roy a lot of controversy surrounding this case definitely a lot of different sides and opinions you could have but i wanted to tell the story today kind of talk about how it's incorporated in the documentary talk about the trial talk about this girl's mind which it was not easy to find things on her mental health, her psychology, just because they didn't have anyone in the trial that was diagnosing her. So I think that people are just like steering clear of playing doctor on the internet, which we are absolutely going to do. No, I'm kidding. Um, We're definitely (laughs) going to talk about characteristics she has and how they might show some signs of certain disorders. We're not going to sit here and diagnose because we aren't professionals, but you know, we do love to talk about the psychology. So we will get into all that, but I just wanted to give a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about some pretty heavy topics in this episode. 
Um, if it is too much for you, we completely understand if this is where you need to stop and you can listen to next week's episode. Um, there's going to be a lot of talk of suicide in this episode. So if you aren't comfortable with that, totally okay. We just wanted to give you a heads up here before we get started. Um, yeah, it's a very sensitive topic. So we just want to make sure everybody feels comfortable. Let's let's get started. Yeah, I'm excited for this because I actually am watching that too. Yay, good. Okay, we'll have things to talk about. It's it's actually really, really good. Just the way that they do such a good job at portraying the way that her mind was and how she just lived in like this fantasy. It's it's like almost just creepy to watch, I feel like. But if you guys haven't watched it, I highly recommend. It's really good. But yeah, let's get into it. So Conrad Roy grew up in a small town south of Boston called Mattapoiset. Um, correct me if I didn't pronounce that correctly, but that's what Google said. So uh, Mattapoiset, Massachusetts. He attended Old Rochester Regional High School where he excelled. Um, he graduated in 2014 with a 3.88 GPA, all while being a student athlete. He played multiple sports, including baseball, rowing, and running track. So, you know, from the outside, it just kind of looked like he had it all. He had his life together. He was successful. He was smart. He was athletic. This kid was doing things. His grandfather owned a tugboat business and he helped work for the business and he ended up earning his captain's license um, in 2014, that same year that he graduated high school. He was accepted to Fitchburg State University, but he decided that he didn't want to go there. His parents did end up pulling him out of school one year. He, like I said, it seemed like he had everything together, but behind the scenes, it was a very different story um, for a long time, like many, many years. He'd been suffering from a lot of different mental health issues. He had extreme social anxiety and suffered with depression. We're going to get into that more later, just about his struggles with mental health and everything that kind of went on in his home life and things like that. But I right now want to talk about his trip in 2012 to Naples with his family. Very important trip. So he went to Naples. He was 16 years old, and he met 15-year-old Michelle Carter. Their families introduced them, and they started to hang out on the trip, and they got super close. They ended up opening up to each other about their lives and their similar experiences with mental health. Um, Michelle experienced a lot of the same issues that he dealt with. She had an eating disorder around the age of 11, and she ended up going to a treatment facility to get help for it. They put her on Cytalopram or Celexa, which is an antidepressant, and it's actually the same antidepressant that Conrad was taking. Um, so struggled with a lot of the same issues, and they just ended up really being so vulnerable with each other. And just in a few days of knowing each other, they got so close, and like they really liked each other, like like liked each other, you know. Like, so like they both went home to their separate Massachusetts hometowns. She was from Plain. I'm, I literally said to Nate, "I'm going to say Plainfield this entire episode because isn't that's that where, where he's from? Yeah, that's her <laughs> name. But in Plainville, which is about a 45 minute drive from Conrad, they kept in touch. They started talking daily and just like got even closer. 
they didn't really hang out in person. I think they just met a few times when their families would go on these vacations or whatever, but they didn't really like drive to see each other ever. It was really just like a texting relationship. Her family didn't really know anything about him. Like they didn't know that they were like in love with each other or anything like that. We'll get into that more, but Michelle helped Conrad through his mental health struggles, and Conrad opened up about his anxiety and depression, while at the same time, he was really struggling with his home life. He allegedly had faced abuse by his father and his grandfather, and um, this is definitely portrayed in the documentary. It kind of just shows how his father was like super hot-headed and had a short fuse and just would get like super scary and angry with Conrad, and then... There was some abuse between Conrad's parents as well. Um, his mom was arrested one year for battery against his father. Um, she wasn't convicted of the charges or anything like that. But Conrad did struggle with suicide in his life. He had a few suicide attempts before. Um, one of them allegedly was in 2012 after his parents had filed for divorce. Court documents also show that two officers were called to their home in February of 2013, and they spoke with Conrad and his dad, and they took photos of Conrad being like totally bruised and beaten and injured. When they went to trial for this case with Michelle Carter, the court didn't allow the photos into evidence, but this was a quote from Conrad at the time. He said, I told dad I would put a pan of mac and cheese away after commercial of a basketball game. He said, do it now. Punch me repeatedly. Pin me down. I couldn't get up. His girlfriend said I was a piece of shit. That's what he said in his statement to the police, but you can only imagine how hard this was on everyone in the house, especially Conrad, who was already dealing with struggles with social anxiety. So yeah. He probably didn't have like a lot of people that he could go to to escape his home life. And like the one person that he really could talk to at this time was Michelle, but it was really just like a virtual relationship pretty much at this point. So it was probably just like he felt like he could not escape from any of this, which I feel like I yeah. understand why he was dealing with so much. It's just so sad. It's really sad. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the – in 2012 when his parents divorced, this wasn't the only time he tried to commit suicide. He actually attempted a total of four times in his life. Uh, when Oof. he was 17, he overdosed on Tylenol and ended up in the hospital. Police found Google searches for how to kill yourself, suicide by cop, just like a bunch of – so his family started to notice his mental health deteriorate and his behavior started to change. Um he started to perform really poorly in school. And like I said before, they ended up pulling him out. They were pretty supportive. I, I don't think that they truly understood what was going on with him. And it kind of shows this in the docu-series too. Just like his grandfather's attitudes towards mental health, it was very like stereotypical for like a person born when he was born. Just like, oh, he's fine. Like, Yeah, that generation. But his parents did try to get him as much help as they could. They brought him to doctors. They got him put on, um, like I said, they got him put on Cytalopram. They did everything that they could, truly, as much as they understood. Like, it's not like they ignored the issue or anything like that. They, they loved him very much and definitely tried to help him. And during his time spent talking to Michelle and getting to know her, at the beginning, she was super supportive of him too. She was encouraging him to get help and talk to someone. You know, she really cared about him. 
They told each other they loved each other, like they cared about each other. In their minds, I think it was a relationship. I would be hesitant to say that they saw things the same, though. It definitely seemed like it was very different in Michelle's mind than it was Conrad's. And we'll get into this a bit more later, but some things were probably a bit exaggerated on her end. But strangely enough, in July of 2014, her attitude on the matter kind of did a 180. On July 13, 2014, Conrad's mother called police to inform them that she hadn't seen or heard from her son, and an officer ended up finding Roy's vehicle in the parking lot of a Kmart in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. He died by suicide, um, carbon monoxide poisoning, which was so fucking tragic. Documentary kind of starts out with this, and then it goes back and forth between you know, leading up to his suicide and his relationship with Michelle and then kind of like the aftermath and Michelle's behavior after he died. But really interesting. Um, A few days later, detectives began looking through Roy's phone just to try to see like, why the fuck did this dude do this? Like his parents were so shocked. They knew about his struggles, but like he had all these things he was looking forward to. Like he just gotten his captain's license. He literally the day before he committed suicide, he spent the whole day at the beach with his sisters and his mom and it, they had so much fun. They were laughing. Like his parents were completely blindsided. So obviously the detectives were like, we want to just like tie up any loose ends, make sure there's nothing weird. Started to look through Roy's phone and noticed that all of the text threads with people were deleted except for his messages with one person who they hadn't heard of and they hadn't met, Michelle. I'm going to read you some of the messages that were sent between the two of them in the days leading up to his suicide. So beginning July 6th until he committed suicide the 14th. Like an example of one of the exchanges. Conrad's like, hey, how's your day? And Michelle goes, when are you going to do it, smiley face? My day was okay. How was yours? What? Yeah, he goes, good. She goes, really? He goes, yes. She goes, that's great. What'd you do? And he goes, oh, I ended up going to work for a little bit and then just looked stuff up. She goes, when are you going to do it? Stop ignoring the question. She's being (gasps) super persistent. At one point in time, she was like, get help. It's going to be okay. Like blah, blah, blah. And now she's like, let's go, buddy. Let's go. So yeah. Like rushing him. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally pushing him, which is very strange. Terrible. Yeah. And he talked about it with her before. Obviously that's why she's like pushing him to do it because he talked about wanting to do it. But there were definitely some days where he was very hesitant. He would like worry about how his family would feel and he would talk to her about it. And this is what she said in response. She said, I think your parents know you're in a really bad place. I'm not saying they want you to do it, but I honestly feel like they can accept it. They know there's nothing they can do. They've tried helping. Everyone's tried. But there's a point that comes when there isn't anything anyone can do to save you, not even yourself. And you've hit that point. And I think your parents know you've hit that point. You said your mom saw a suicide thing on your computer and she didn't say anything. I think she knows it's on your mind and she's prepared for it. Everyone will be sad for a while, but they will get over it and move on. They won't be in depression. I won't let that happen. They know how sad you are, and they know you are doing this to be happy, and I think they will understand it and accept it. They will always carry you in their hearts. Uh, No. Mm -mm. Yeah. So he was just like, aw, thank you, Michelle. She said, they will move on for you because they know that's what you would have wanted. 
They know you wouldn't want them to be sad and depressed and be angry and guilty. They know you want them to live their lives and be happy, so they will for you. You're right. You need to stop thinking about this and just do it because overturning always kills overthinking. I don't I don't know what that means. He said, yeah, it does. I've been thinking about it for too long. She said, always smile. And yeah, you just have to do it. You have everything you need. There's no way you can fail. Tonight is the night. It's now or never. Like, not, no. Urging him so much even when he's considering not doing it because of how it makes his family feel. She's like, no, no, you're not. You're doing it. Yeah. And I know that he has good days and bad days. And if he's telling you that he's having a good day and you're just like constantly putting that in his head, he that it makes all of his good days into bad days. Like Right. And it's like there, there are so many opportunities where he could have been talked out of it in these moments where he's considering like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Okay. Now's your time to be like, yeah, no, you shouldn't. I love you. Like, what the fuck? Right. Like if you truly love somebody, you would never let them do this to themselves, especially knowing that they're not fully on board with doing it to themselves. And knowing just like their past suicide attempts and they're even in one of his suicide attempts in the past. I want to say it was the one where he overdosed on pills, which this is like he was talking to Michelle during this time. It was yeah, the I want to say the year of or the year before that he did kill himself. One of his he called one of his friends and his friend ended up talking him down from it. It was possible for him to be convinced not to do it, and she's literally doing the opposite. They did they had a, a one conversation about his failed attempts. She said, if you don't think about it, you won't think about failing. You'll just do it and then thinking you'll succeed. He said, right. That's what I'm talking about. I read so much about failed attempts gone wrong that it's gotten me discouraged. Michelle goes, yeah, exactly. So stop doing that. There's more success than there are failures. And Conrad goes, are you kidding me? Michelle said, you have to look at it that way. And people only fail because they have the same mindset as you thinking that they'll fail. He goes, I really want to believe you. She goes, why don't you? You can't think about it. You just have to do it. You said you were going to do it. Like, I don't get why you aren't. So now she's getting so pushy and like making him feel bad. Right. He's like, I don't get it either. I don't know. She goes, so I guess you aren't going to do it then? All that for nothing? I'm just confused. Like, you were so ready and determined. He goes, I'm going to eventually. I really don't know what I'm waiting for, but I have everything lined up. The guilt trips kind of get worse. She starts saying things like, well, I guess I'm just frustrated just because you always say you're going to do it, but you don't. But last night, I know you really wanted to do it, and I'm not mad. Well, I mean, kind of, I guess, just because you always say you're going to do it, but you don't. But last night, I knew you really wanted to, and I'm not mad. She's like, you're not joking about this or bullshitting me, right? I just want to make sure you're being serious. Like, I know you are, but I don't know. You always say you're going to do it, but you never do. I just want to make sure tonight's the real thing. Why is she putting so much pressure on him? Like, I I just – I guess my thing is that I know how she acted afterwards and I I haven't heard a lot of these text messages. So I I don't understand how it correlates and clearly in my head I'm trying to think to myself, like, how could she possibly be this pushy and, like, honestly, like, mean to him about, like, such a serious situation. Don't worry because we're going to talk about it. We are going to talk about the correlation and how and why she 
was doing this and then how it kind of went along with her behavior in the end, which is mind-boggling. But it got to the point where she literally laid out directions for how he could do it, telling him exactly what to get, exactly what will happen, exactly the timing and everything. And I'm not going to read those text messages just because I don't want to put those things out for people to listen to and hear because she's literally telling him how to kill himself. Um, But obviously these text messages are anywhere you can read them if you're really like trying to study this case. But I just don't want to really get into that. She's just literally laying out exactly what for him to do, literally forcing him to like do it Um, and talking about do it during the day because it's less suspicious. You will just keep thinking about it if you wait until doing it at night. She told him to like go take his truck and park in a parking lot somewhere, like which is exactly what he did. And then it's like two days before and he was like, I don't know why I'm so hesitant. At first, everything was really bad a few weeks ago, and like I was so willing to do it, and now I'm just not. And she goes on about saying, you just keep overthinking it. And so we have the morning of, which was July 14th. So at 419 in the morning, Michelle messages him, just says, you can't think about it. Just do it. Like you said, you were going to do it. I don't get why you aren't. He's like, I don't either. And she's like, so I guess you aren't going to do it then. All that for nothing. I'm just confused. Like you were so ready and determined. Like just like the manipulation is unreal. And like just like he ended up texting her later in the afternoon and was like, I'm determined. I'm ready. She said, good, because it's time, babe. You know that when you get back from the beach, you've got to do it. You're ready. You're determined. It's the best time to do it. So like I said, remember he went – um, with his family to the beach and had like a great day. And he starts worrying about that again. He's like, I just don't know how to leave them. She was like, say you're going to go to the store. He was like, I want them to know that I love them. She goes, they know. That's one thing they definitely know. You're overthinking. And so he was oh, like, I hate. <laughs> I know. So he told his family he was going to the store. He drives to the Fairhaven Kmart parking lot. Around 6.25 at night, he called her at 6.28 p.m. They talked on the phone for 43 minutes. And then at 7.12, she called him, and that call lasted for 47 minutes. So we'll get into what happened on the phone. But I also was just thinking that he – obviously, he loves his family. He knows that, like, they love him. But he's really putting a lot – Oh, like he has a this relationship with Michelle. He loves. They keep telling each other that they love each other, and he he probably has this false sense of what love is because he sees like how his grandfather and his father are violent, and obviously this is like Michelle's now kind of being violent and manipulative too. So that's such know, a good just, point. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way, but that's a really really good take. Yeah, he is having such a false sense of what love is and maybe I don't know the he, I just feel like all the people that love him have like hurt him in some way. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sad. I know, I'm really sad. So the next morning Michelle texts him saying, "Did you do something?" 
Conrad, I love you so much. Please tell me this is a joke. I'm so sorry. I didn't think you were being serious. I need you. Please answer me. I'm going to get you help and you're going to get better. We'll make it through this. He'd already been dead for 12 hours. So they were literally on the phone as he committed suicide. So this was kind of just Michelle like covering her ass, covering her ass, getting an alibi, you know, but she's dumb (laughs) because two months after he died, she frantically sent a text to one of her, quote, friends, and we'll get into that, but the text read, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone with him, and he got out of the car because it was working, and he got scared, and I fucking told him to get back in. I could have stopped him, but I fucking didn't. All I had to do was say I loved you. So because of this, Michelle was charged with involuntary manslaughter. Her two-week trial – Began two years later in 2017. She ended up waiving her right to a jury trial, leaving the decision up to the judge. And rather than being tried as a juvenile, she was tried as a youthful offender, which meant that she could face up to 20 years in prison because uh, when he committed suicide, she was 17. So she was like almost an adult. And then um, obviously, as this trial began, she was 19. She was released on. Uh, $250,000 bail, and she pleaded not guilty. Her defense attorney was focusing on Conrad's mental health struggles, saying like he was going to kill himself already, regardless of Michelle's influence. They also argued that her words were free speech, and there's no law that criminalizes suicide. And technically, Michelle didn't make any threats toward him, so there was really nothing that they could like charge her with. He only had one witness who was a psychopharmacologist named Peter Bregan who they decided was not credible at all. This guy like didn't know anything about the DSM or anything like just – it was bullshit. But he basically testified that the small 5-milligram dosage of citalopram that she was on contorted her helpful nature. That is a quote from Esquire, but that's what he said. Um almost giving her like an angel of death, angel of mercy complex. She was helping him by getting him to commit suicide, which I agree with that part, but I don't agree with the part that he is blaming it on the small dosage of a drug that she was taking that millions, millions of people take this drug. I know people who take this drug and helps them so much. Yeah. He he blamed it on involuntary um, – what do you call it when you're – involuntary intoxication is what he called it, which is a legal term. But that was the basis of his argument there and just saying that the drug that she was taking made it so that she didn't know right or wrong, which I just feel like is complete bullshit. Like, Yeah. But according to Esquire, in, cor- in order to convict Michelle, assistant district attorney – Katie Rayburn would have to, quote, convince the judge that a reasonable person would have known that her actions could cause substantial injury or death, which I think is pretty obvious here. Majority of their evidence was made up of the text messages, which tell the story themselves. It showed the judge that she was, quote, a lonely, calculating girl who killed an ambivalent boy to win the attention of her peers. That was her argument, was that everything that she was doing was for attention. And the documentary portrays this so well with the way that after Conrad died, she kind of made everything about her with organizing this thing, this fundraiser for mental health and doing it in her own hometown and just like 
making everything about the death revolve around her and just feeling like she was responsible for everyone. And it was just like – it's like a really weird situation because her parents had no idea who this dude was. Like his parents had never met her and they didn't realize it was that they were this close. So just like a lot of her actions feel really inappropriate just – with everything going on with what the family is going through it just it's so awkward to watch like it is her insert herself in the situation so let's talk about the psychology that is michelle carter like i said you definitely get a glimpse at this in the new documentary um but a lot of it was revealed in court she almost lived a life that she exaggerated kind of like a fantasy where it's very different in her head than the situation really is. So that's when I was saying earlier that the relationship to her might have been different than it really was. I think that she definitely takes situations and just embellishes them. Like she lived a life where she was this popular girl. She had this amazing, perfect boyfriend who was so in love with her. In reality, the girl that Michelle called her best friend, her best friend said that their other friends was her best like. None of them thought that Michelle was their best friend. They all thought that, like, she was super clingy, super weird. Like, they didn't want to hang out with her. They could barely recall times that they hung out with Michelle outside of school, except for the week of Conrad's death, Michelle wanted them to sleep over. And they didn't fuck with her. That's how it really was. But in Michelle's head, it was like they were best friends and she was, like, popular girl and had everything and – she was literally like living a fantasy and like a delusion. And so the girls that Michelle called her best friends also told some interesting details about that week leading up to his death. On July 10th, she texted her friends like individually in different ways that Conrad was missing. But this wasn't true. Like he wouldn't be missing until three days later after he'd committed suicide. So then get this part. According to Esquire, Michelle texted her one friend, Sam, saying, is there any way a portable generator can kill you somehow? <gasps> what? Yeah. How? That's incriminate. Just, just incriminate herself. Mm-hmm. And then around 11 that night, Michelle's friend Lexi, like the one who Michelle thought was like her best friend, she yeah. asked her like, hey, like what's going on? Like has anyone found him yet? And literally while she was texting her that, Michelle had been texting Conrad saying, let me know when you're going to do it. And then she's replying to her friend saying, no, not yet. I'm losing all hope that he's even alive. So it was almost like she's trying to set it up as, I don't want anyone to think I had anything to do with this. I don't want anyone to think I knew what was going on. I'm going to make it seem like he was missing for days and I hadn't heard of him. Like, you are so stupid. The messages are on your phone. And these are happening at the same time that you're telling people, oh my God, it's unreal. Where her head is at is just crazy to me. I'm baffled by this girl. I know. In the end, the judge decided that Carter had a, quote, duty to alleviate the risk and that her failure caused the death of Mr. Roy. He said whether Conrad would have taken his life at another time does not control or even inform the court's decision. She did not call police or Mr. Roy's family. She did not notify his mother or sister, even though just several days before that, she requested their phone numbers. And finally, she did not issue a simple additional instruction, get out of the truck. Like, she literally said, like, get back in the fucking truck. Consequently, he said Michelle's failure to act where she had a self-created duty constituted each and all wanton and reckless conduct. As for that psychopharmacologist, 
like I said, the judge said the court did not find that analysis credible at all. So initially, she's sentenced to two and a half years in prison. It was less than 15 months. She ended up serving 11 starting in 2019 because she tried to appeal, but that was rejected. But she only served 11 months. She was apparently a model inmate while in prison. She participated in a bunch of different programs. She had no disciplinary issues. So she got out in less than a year. Definitely the controversy around this case is like, you know, did she cause this guy to kill himself? Did he do it on his own? I obviously don't think that you can say she killed him. She didn't, but I agree with everything the judge says, and I really wish that she did end up serving the full two and a half years in prison. But at the same time, unfortunately, I do not think she will ever change. I want to talk about some personality disorders that she shares characteristics with. We can discuss it. There's no formal diagnosis anywhere. There was no diagnosis during her trial. So I just want to disclaimer, we're not diagnosing anything. I just want to talk about these disorders um, because a lot of her behaviors mimic that of the cluster B section of personality disorders, which is made up of antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. So we've definitely talked about antisocial personality disorder a lot on here. I don't think that she has antisocial personality disorder, but I'll breeze through it. It is made up of having a disregard for others' needs or feelings, persistent lying, stealing, conning. This is all from Mayo Clinic, by the way. I just want to throw that out there before I start. Problems with the law, repeated violations of other people's rights, aggressive, violent behavior, disregard for the safety of oneself or others, impulsive behavior, lack of remorse for behavior. We've seen that in all of our serial killers, so not going to get too into it. Now for a few of the disorders I think that she more closely resembles. So borderline personality disorder Shows impulsive and risky behavior, unstable or fragile self-image, unstable and intense relationships, up and down moods, um, suicidal behavior, threats of self-injury, intense fear of being alone or abandoned, ongoing feelings of emptiness, frequent intense displays of anger, stress-related paranoia that comes and goes, um, histrionic personality disorder. So this one is definitely definitely resembles some of her behaviors that you see after he passes away. We see constantly seeking attention, excessively emotional, dramatic to gain attention, speaking dramatically with strong opinions, um, easily influenced by others, shallow, rapidly changing emotions, excessive concern with physical appearance, thinks relationships with others are closer than they really are. We see a lot of this in Michelle. Um, like thinking relationships are closer than they are is huge for her, even with her relationship yeah. with Conrad, her relationship with her friends. Excessive concern with physical appearance after Conrad's death. She was so concerned about the way that she looked for the funeral and the way that she looked for the fundraiser that she was doing and the way that she performed in the baseball game. And obviously the whole – prosecution's case was saying that she did all this for attention and I really just think in her brain she she had this like god complex savior complex 
like, oh, she tried to be there for Conrad and then he did this. And now she was saying, you know, she has to be there for his family and she's going to help his family and do all this stuff. And like that makes her feel so fucking good about herself because of how narcissistic she is, which brings mm-hmm. us to narcissistic personality disorder. Belief that you're special and more important than others. Fantasies about power, success, attractiveness, a failure to recognize others' needs and feelings, exaggeration of achievements or talents, expectation of constant praise and admiration, arrogance, unreasonable expectations of favors and advantages, often taking advantage of others, envy of others, or belief that others envy you. I mean, it's just definitely just like kind of like a mix of all of these. Part of uh, borderline and histrionic personality disorder comes with really strong attachment to like – usually it's like one person at a time and your feelings towards them can kind of go from like being super clingy to like being really mean to them and kind of flip-flop back and forth. And we definitely saw that with Conrad right at the oh, beginning. Yeah. She's like so obsessed with him. She comes so attached to him and then like kind of turns around and is like really shitty to him. And it's quite interesting because – After Conrad dies, you know, he was, like, the one person that she was very attached to. She kind of forms a new attachment to someone. And this person is portrayed in The Girl from Plainville as being her new friend. In the documentary, her name was Susie. And it kind of shows Susie as being, like, in love with Michelle In real life, it it might have been the other way around, but she does get really attached to a friend who she became friends with from her softball team. Her name in real life was Alice Felsman. They became super close in 2012 and then eventually got so close to the point where they were having like weekly sleepovers and Michelle reportedly like lost sleep over their friendship. She texted a friend about Alice saying, I'm obsessed with her. Like, I don't know how to stop. Every love song or whatever, it's her I think about. And then in a different text she was like I thought it was a phase at first like I thought we were just really good friends but we started talking like a relationship would flirting and stuff like I don't know if I'm bi I guess because I never had that type of relationship with another girl to really tell so in the docuseries it kind of shows the opposite about this it kind of shows that Susie who is portraying this Alice character as being the first one to like actually have feelings for her but it kind of seems like her texts show the opposite Eventually, Alice's mom made her cut ties with Michelle, and she like totally, completely stopped talking to her. Michelle said that Alice was her first kiss, but Alice's mother said that wasn't true. Like Michelle sent her like a love letter, all this stuff. So, I think that Michelle just has some attachment issues here. It just seems like anyone that she gets close to, she kind of confuses that closeness for like a relationship like she talks about how she doesn't really know she's never had like a relationship like that so she doesn't really know what's like friendship versus what is like a romantic relationship but it's interesting because in the documentary while they're showing her getting really close to this girl um they show michelle showing this girl glee and describing the relationship between Santana and Brittany and how they went from being best friends to like being in love and they always go back to each other and all of this. And I, Allison, we need to talk about the Glee correlations in this case because I'm a huge Glee fan. So this was just like, this like blew my mind to watch. I like, I was like literally screaming when I was first watching the docuseries. I was like, is this real? And turns out it was, it was talked about in court 
And I want to talk about, you know, kind of her obsession with Glee. And when I say obsession, I don't mean like watching the series three times a year, every single year the way that I do. I mean, this girl took literal situations from the show and acted like it was her life and tried to like fit them into her life. So like the Santana and Brittany relationship with her friend Alice. She when so obviously if you um have or haven't watched Glee or whatever, Corey Monteith, who plays Finn, who is like the male lead, is dating Leah Michelle's character, Rachel Berry. And Obviously, in real life, um, Corey Monteith passed away from a drug overdose, and they did an episode in the show where his character Finn passes away. So in the show, he's dating Rachel, who was actually with him at the time in real life, Um, and Michelle would take direct quotes from the show and direct scenarios of like them dealing with Finn's death, and she would like text people as if she was like saying those words when they were literally direct quotes from the show. So talk about living in a fantasy world. This girl literally thought she was living in Glee and like thought she was Leah Michelle. So I just want to like read some of the Glee quotes that um, she would text people about Conrad. I can't believe all of those were real. Oh my God, it's crazy. The docuseries shows a scene where she's singing – Make You Feel My Love by Adele, which in the show, Leah Michelle's character, Rachel, sings for Finn when he dies. It was like a song that they used to sing together in um, the car together. And it's, it was so freaky, so freaky to watch. It was eerie. Yeah, I did not like that. At first, I'm sitting there like, this can't be real, right? Like, because obviously the show tells you that some things are dramatized or, you know, things are happening that didn't actually happen, but it's for, you know, the whole show purpose. And so I'm sitting here thinking the glee parts are just drama. And I can't, I can't believe those are real. They are so, honestly, you th- at, at some points you think they're comical to watch. You're like, this can't be real. So you're like laughing. But then you sit there and you're like, wait, is she really this delusional? Like, does she really think that she she's trying to play this part? And then you're like, oh, fuck. This is fucked up. That's what makes it so eerie. But I, th- I think the whole like Santana-Brittany yeah. dynamic with her friend was super interesting. But when it came to Conrad, like I said before, Michelle just truly was way more into the relationship than Conrad was. And she was so delusional. It was a fantasy. And it just seemed like it was like very forced upon him at times. One situation – Michelle was, like, asking if he thinks he'll get married and, like, another – she was, I want to be able to say I'm your girlfriend or I I want to be able to say I was your girlfriend. So only thinking in terms of his suicide, not even thinking of it in terms of I want to be your girlfriend and, like, spend time with you. Only so doing it as, like, in an attention way. Like, I need to be able to say I'm your girlfriend after you died or, it, like, I won't be able to play this role. He goes, yes, you are. Nothing, yeah. He goes, yes, you are. She goes, I am. He goes, I guess. I guess. Convincing. She she was obsessed with Leah Michelle. She, 
had a bunch of tweets about her, said like she was her woman crush Wednesday, which I'm not about to get into Leah Michelle, but no thank you. Um said she was her favorite person <laughs> in the world, like definitely found a connection with her and just identified with her. And she would be texting Conrad or texting someone else about Conrad and literally take quotes that Leah's character, Rachel Berry, said in the show. Like when she says, you were my first love and I wanted more than anything for you to be my last. That is a direct line from the show that she says to Finn because obviously Finn dies and they ended up having in the show, they have a breakup and they get back together. But she watched the episode of the tribute episode, the quarterback. I, I think it's season five after he died in 2013, she watches the episode and she said, she says to Conrad, it's just making me realize someday you might not be here and stuff. Like it's making me think of like when you were gone like things like that, just like comparing everything to this TV show. And she wants to be the person in Glee who had a boyfriend who was the quarterback who tragically died. And like she wants everyone to feel so bad for her. And she could become so much more popular because of this. And just it's it's so, so fucking weird. She was so detached from reality. And this is like such a clear example. Um, there was also a comparison to like The Fault in Our Stars that was kind of weird. It's so bizarre. If you haven't seen the documentary, please watch it because the glee scenes are insane and you think that it's not real, but it literally was. This girl was living in a fantasy world. She I don't I like I don't even know what to say about it because I can't wrap my head around. There's there's no way that someone who does this is not mentally ill. There is some sort of personality disorder. It's just the way that you can see it in her behaviors before and after is just so creepy to me. And she isn't the only one that's done this. There was another girl in more recent years um, who was charged with her boyfriend's suicide as well. Um, this is definitely going to become, I think, a thing more – now that these two cases have kind of set a precedent and as technology obviously progresses, like it's already taken over our lives and everything. Um, I'm just glad that there was some sort of like resolution and like some sort of justice for the Roy family. I, I can't even imagine how they felt during all of this. And it's just so terrible that, you know, someone knew what was going on and wanted to help themselves more than, than they wanted to help this poor boy. Yeah. I was just thinking it, it, the fact that she's not still in jail just is so alarming because who's to say that, you know, she's not getting help for those mental illnesses that she clearly has. She's living in a false reality. Who's to say that she doesn't meet somebody else and, you know, does this again. She's only really in it to live out her own fantasies of, you know, I want to be popular, which she she put her name out. I don't know. I feel like it should it backfired, I hope, because I would never want to be around that girl ever. <laughs> I'd never want to be friends with her. I, like, hope that she she needs, like, serious help. She does. Um as for what she's up to now, she doesn't have any 
So not like any social media that's like under her name, at least. She hasn't made any statements to the public um, despite like all of these um, documentary, docuseries being released. Um, She is on probation until August of this year, but um, nothing from her. I don't think that she will change. I just think that her issues with attachment and her just not her separation from reality or whatever you want to call it, I she would need extreme help. Yeah, I agree. And I just for anyone that is involved with her in the future, I pray for their safety and their well-being. And it's honestly just like terrifying. And it, it's really – it's sad because – Obviously, this girl has struggled with something for so long and definitely needs help. And I mean, I don't know anything about her parents, but definitely seemed like from the way that they portray them in the docuseries that they don't really understand anything that she's gone through. And it's more of like a they want to make everything seem like it's okay and like their daughter doesn't have issues. So I kind of understand yeah. like her not living in like a normal reality, but it's just sad to see the way that everything turned out, not justifying any of her behavior or anything. I don't see any justification for someone who had all the time in the world to help someone that they claim they love, but yeah clearly was not love it was more of delusion and i just think i don't know what it is about like people who live who whose brain is in another place like this and like the lori vallow just like this false reality something about that is so fascinating to me and so frightening yeah this was Technically, I think the first case of its kind. It was. And they do go over that in the docuseries, how, like, they they wanted to press charges against her, and they kind of had to figure it out because it, it had never been done before. And I think they did the right thing, honestly. I mean, I, I agree with you. You can't charge her, f- like, for his death. Like, she didn't kill him. But... For somebody who struggled so much mentally and had such a false, you know, concept of love, I think, um, I don't know. I think he just was really manipulated and I think she really took advantage of um, his life and what he had gone through for her own personal gain. For sure. And the fact that she's not in jail still or in a psych ward just pisses me off because I don't care if she was a model prisoner i don't know i just feel like of course they didn't do anything part of a model prisoner she can play whatever part she wants to they they didn't do anything to help the situation like they didn't get her medicine they didn't get her this or that like she needs help that girl needs help yeah she needs serious help it's interesting too um talking about like her taking advantage of him and how they shared mental health struggles he suggested that they do kind of like a romeo and juliet thing like they both like kill themselves together and she was like nah like a narcissist is not going to commit suicide (laughs) like i'm sorry no but she was like no you that's so fucked it's so fucked it's so tragic i 
truly think that he would have found happiness some way and would have gotten help and lived a good life. And she's very unfortunate that she gets to live her life starting in August. I hope she gets help and gets sent away because I don't trust her. But I want to hear your guys' opinions. I know that they, this is very controversial. This is very new. Um, like I said, there was another case that happened in more recent years of a woman and her boyfriend. I think her name – fuck. I can't remember her name. I'm so sorry. But let us know your thoughts. What do you guys think? Do you agree with this verdict? Like, Do you think she should have been charged? She shouldn't have been charged? I want to know your opinions. Um, DM us. Leave us a comment on our Instagram when we post about it because I definitely want to know your guys' thoughts. But yeah, that is the that is the case of Michelle Carter. If you guys haven't seen the documentaries, I highly suggest watching them. Yeah, I want to go watch the other one. Yeah, yeah. It's called I Love You Now Die. What a title, honestly. What a title indeed. <laughs> Gus is pissed off. Do you agree, Gussie? We don't like Michelle. Um, but yeah thank you guys so much for listening we again as Erica said will hopefully be back on our regular schedule Um, starting now we we just had to celebrate Erica's birthday for a little bit give us a second Um, but thank you so much and again 15,000 downloads oh my god we are just zooming through these I love that you guys are listening and that you guys are continuing to come back each week to see you know, what we're up to and all of our cases. Don't forget to follow us because we do post on Instagram regularly. Um, but please, again, you can listen to- oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, send us case suggestions, please. I found a really fucking wild one that I'm going to do soon, but definitely want to hear you guys. Thoughts. What do you want to hear? Even if you don't have specific cases, what kind of cases do you guys like hearing from us the most? Um, we'll try and do more of what you guys want, but you have to let us know. But yeah, thank you guys so much. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Gus is about to yell at me again because he said, you have been on this podcast for far too long and it's my turn now. (laughs) (laughs) He's getting so mad. Um, I said Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you listen on Spotify, you can rate us and you can make sure to hit that little notification bell so when our episodes do come out, you get notified immediately that day. Gus, we get it. You love the podcast. He said subscribe. Subscribe. (laughs) Subscribe. But that's all we have. So thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next one.